The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. We are live and going right now. Right, Brian. Clayton, it's been a while. We're going to do this again. I'm excited. I'm excited about Have, today's. Uh, this. This book is a good one. This this whole concept of atomic habits. And I know there's a lot of people. I think the Pennant Group actually had it as their focus book. Okay. Um, and and I know several leaders that have read it recently and, and just absolutely loved it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much excited about digging into it with you today. So uh, as you already said, the book that we are going to talk about today is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, and he really points out how atomic is an extremely small amount of a thing, but but really the source of immense energy or power. Um, yeah, you know, an atom. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And not Adam Willits, but an yeah, atom, the other, no. the other atom. Uh, and a habit is a routine or practice performed regularly, you know, an automatic response to a specific situation. So, Clay, if you want to help take us into the book, yeah, that'd be great. He, he starts with a story that I think is so powerful, and I've, I've heard it in a lot of different places, and I've realized the people that I've heard speaking about it probably got it from the book. But it talks about the British cycling team. So this this will appeal to you, No, right? I'm already super interested. British cycling team was terrible. I mean, for 100 years, they were the epitome of mediocrity. Uh, since 1908, they had had one gold medal, zero Tour de France <laughs> wins, right? I mean, just, bad. It just yeah, did, bad. Not, did not have a great record. Right. And so there's this guy named Brailsford, and he comes and he teaches this concept that is called the aggregation of marginal gains. Okay. And for me, it's sort of, if you've read Good to Great, it, mm-hmm. it, it's very similar to rinsing your cottage cheese. It's okay. these, these little, small, bite-sized changes that you make. Mm-hmm that alone don't do a whole lot. Right. But together, uh, you know, have an impact. I mean, some of the things they talked about, he changed the bike seats, okay. the tires, uh, electrically heated shorts oh, so that for your, yeah, for your <laughs> you know, muscles <laughs> awesome. and fabrics and biofeedback sensors and massage gels and how they washed their hands, wow. the pillows and the mattresses that mm-hmm. the that the cyclists slept on. Again, you're not going to take a loser and give them a great mattress and a great <laughs> pillow and suddenly they're going to become a winner. For sure. But that, uh, the one that was so interesting to me, they painted the inside of their van white so that they could see dust more easily. <laughs> And then it right, it's not a it's not a big thing. These tiny things That's that awesome. mean very little on their own, but look at the impact right. that it had cumulatively. Two thousand eight, they won sixty percent of the available gold medals. Wow. They set nine Olympic records, seven world records, and even won the Tour de France five times in six years. From two thousand seven to two thousand seventeen, they won so that's just ten years, won one hundred and seventy-eight world championships. And 66 Olympic or Paralympic golds. Wow. That is a tremendous turnaround. This this aggregation of marginal gains. I it reminds me, and, and I've 
have this uh, slide on a lot of my different trainings, and it's a quote from a book called The Mundanity of Excellence. Okay. And it's a book by Dan Chambliss, and he's, he's, he's talking about competitive swimmers and what makes them amazing. Mm-hmm. And he says, the most dazzling human achievements are, in fact, the aggregate of countless individual elements, each one of which uh, is, excuse me, each of which is, in a sense, ordinary. Superlative performance is really a confluence of dozens of small skills or activities which have been carefully drilled into habit. There is nothing extraordinary or superhuman in any one of those actions, only the fact that they are done consistently and correctly and all together produce excellence. That's awesome. So that that really sounds like the the 1% better everyday principle. Yeah, just a bunch of small things. Yeah, if if you save a little money, you know, you still aren't a millionaire or if you just work out three times in a row, uh, you still might not be you know, you're right. not going to be incredibly in shape, but really success is the product of daily habits, not not once in a lifetime transformations or activities. Yeah. And and James, in this book, he, he cautions us to be more concerned with our trajectory than our current results. Right. If we get I, I've talked to a lot of leaders that mm-hmm. do this, they say, I'm, I'm trying to live these principles and I and I'm still struggling. Well, yeah, but it takes time. Mm-hmm. There needs to be. Look, if you're if you're a millionaire, but you're spending more than you earn each month, that's a <laughs> Bad trajectory, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Uh, because our outcomes are a lagging measure of our habits, and basically we get what we repeat. And when you repeat a, a habit enough, you can then do it without thinking, right? I mean, I I don't really mm-hmm. have to. Well, I'm at older now, so I sort of have to. But I I you know didn't have to think about dribbling a basketball. <laughs> Whereas when I first you know did it, I, it was I had to focus on the dribbling. Of course, right. But but there's a breakthrough moment that occurs when you don't have to think about it anymore. Mm. And now I can turn my focus to something else. Mm. And sometimes we only see the breakthrough moment. We only see. But but those break. I mean, this is the flywheel yeah. again, going back to good to great. But those those breakthroughs are often the result of many previous actions that have been woven into habit. But our problem tends to be the lack of patience. Right. We make a few small changes. We fail to see the result. We decide to stop. You know, I've been running every day for a month. It yeah. hasn't worked. It, it, yeah, it reminds me of uh, like even learning to play an instrument. So many yeah. people do stop because yeah, it this takes sounds so terrible. Lo- so I mean, especially long. a violin or something. <laughs> I mean, it sounds awful. It sounds like so a dying long. cat. Yeah. And then suddenly there's a breakthrough. Right, right. But, but, you know, habits need to persist long enough to sort of break that plateau. Mm-hmm. Think about it this way. A couple of different examples. Think of an ice cube that you've heated from 25 to 31 degrees and it's not melting. Right. But then suddenly that breakthrough happens and it starts to melt. Well, all of that heating up mattered. Right. Your work isn't wasted. It's just being stored. <laughs> right. It's a Think great of a, I, the other one I like is a stone cutter mm-hmm. hammering away at a rock, just, just pounding and pounding without so much as a crack. Mm-hmm. And then one blow <laughs> splits it into. <laughs> right. It wasn't the last blow that did it. It was all of those before that came before sort of storing up that energy. Yeah, that's a, that's another great analogy. So the, the key really is to stick with the habit long enough to just survive that plateau. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in this idea where he says to focus on systems and not goals. Yeah. And in fact, I, I believe he said, I, I began to realize that my results had very little to do with the goals I set and nearly everything to do with the systems that I yeah, followed. Yeah, this seems weird for us to talk <laughs> about because, we, you know, uh, 
four disciplines of execution right. and green and clean. It's right. it's set goals. Have right. these goals. Right. You know, know what. But it doesn't. It it, it really does. It, it reckons these thoughts do reconcile for sure. So you need goals to help sort of guide your systems. That makes sense. But but and he says I'm just going to quote him. He says okay. if you completely ignored your goals and focused only on your systems, you would still succeed. This is I've always loved uh, John Wooden, just an amazing basketball coach, and he was famous for I mean he won I think ten championships in eleven years, just unprecedented <laughs> results, and right. he, even since nobody's nobody's touched it. But he never focused on winning. Mm -hmm. He never had a goal to win a championship or, frankly, even beat another team. He said, if you just focus on the fundamentals, mm -hmm. these little atomic habits, winning will take care of itself. And he's famous for practice number one, spending half an hour teaching them how to put on their socks. <laughs> and then another half an hour teaching them how to tie their shoes. Because if you put on your socks the right way, you won't get blisters. And if you tie your shoes the right way, your shoes won't fall off. Really impressive. <laughs> and, you know, the results speak for themselves. Right. Look, winners and losers have the same goals. I mean, this sounds terrible. I'm not saying don't set goals. Set goals. But, but it wasn't the goal of winning the Tour de France that, that changed British cycling. Right. 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 It, it, it if you have a goal to clean your room, but you maintain a sloppy routine. <laughs> What's the right? point? The, the system is the problem. Right. You treated a symptom w uh, without addressing the cause. So this is consistent with the four disciplines of execution where it says to focus on lead measures. Okay. Focus on the inputs and the lag measures, which are your goals. They'll they'll take care care of themselves. So what you have to do is learn to fall in love with the process. I mean, you hear you teams say this all the time, trust the process, right? Right. right. You've got to learn to fall in love with the process, the the waking up early, the training, the the not the product. The purpose of goal of setting goals is to is to win the game, but the purpose of building systems is to continue playing the game, right? So you know, you can train and train and run a marathon. And once you reach that goal, if that was it, you're just going to stop. And right. then it's, you know, bonbons <laughs> and, and TV and movies and, and Netflix all the time. He says this, and I really like it. Um, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. <laughs> That's, that, that really is a really is an insightful statement. And uh, you, you know, some of the analogies today are really I can relate to just being yeah. a, a long term cyclist. We get, we and a, get musician a little too and, focused on goals and not yeah, focused enough on systems. Yeah, and, and really staying focused on on systems and finding a way to enjoy the process itself. I think just really helps lend itself to being successful yeah. at building good systems. So. Uh, I, I like where he talks about um, three layers of behavior. So there's change, uh, which is out outcomes. What you get, uh, what do I want to achieve? Uh, there's processes, you know, what you do. Uh, and then there's identity, which is what you believe, what do I want to become? Uh, if you don't mind, just help us understand these layers of behavior change a bit more. Yeah, this this was, uh, I, I really liked reading this part of it, um, you know, the difference between outcome, process, and identity. So mm -hmm. so let's say I'm trying to quit the habit of smoking. Okay. Okay. Outcome behavior change. Which you really should, by the way. It's... I, I, really, I really should. Although I think it would give me a cool voice if I <laughs> cool grab a little the, bit, uh, yeah, podcast you know, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Um, so, so outcome behavior change is sort of like saying, okay, you're offering me a cigarette, and I say, no, thanks, I don't smoke. Okay, okay, so that's just, and that that's a very common one. Process behavior change 
is saying, okay, I don't want to go into that smoke shop. Okay. That that's the process that I know leads me uh, in into my smoking habits. I'm not going to hang out with those people, right? Okay. Or or whatever it may be. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. Okay. But but identity behavior change, which they say really is is the most powerful, is when you're able to say, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. Right. Right. Okay. Instead of I don't smoke or I don't want to smoke or I don't want to hang out with those people, you're just you've changed your identity. See, behavior that isn't aligned with who you think you are, it's not going to last. Our our behaviors ultimately align with what we think of ourselves. Does that does that make sense? It but it's hard to change habits if you don't change self-perception. The goal is not to read a book. The goal is to become a reader. The goal isn't to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. The goal isn't to learn an instrument. It's to become a musician, to say, right. I'm a musician. And what you do is an indication of the type of person you think that you are, either consciously or subconsciously, right? Hmm. We, we, we hmm. just naturally do the things that reinforce who we think we are. We're simply acting like the type of person that we already believe ourselves to be. Right. And he, right. And he says the real reason that we fail to stick with habits is that our self-image gets in the way. And so it, it it seems like your habits are really how you reinforce your identity and that self-image. Yeah. And your identity, you know, ultimately becomes what you just keep repeating. It validates it. Almost like yeah. each action you say is, hey, maybe this is who I am. Yeah. And I, and I really like this thought. It's like every action... I can take is a statement of who I want yeah, to be. I like, I like that too. Right. So I, so I, I shouldn't say, well, I'm just that way and there's, you know, nothing I can do. <laughs> right. Every time I develop someone, I'm validating myself as a leader. Right. So if I want to be a leader, I should go develop someone. <laughs> right. I should go help someone. I just need to decide the type of person that I want to be and then prove it with small wins. I, I'm becoming my habit. I, I really, I don't know. I, like I, I, I'm a little dorky, but I, I really like this thought. And then what happens is I'm sort of creating these mental shortcuts for myself. Remember how I said now that now the habit's easier to uh, a memory of steps that I previously followed to solve a problem in the past. This becomes a habit and this then frees up mental capacity so I can focus on other things because I'm doing these great things out of habit, maybe I need to train myself to reach out to someone and, and say something nice. Mm -hmm. But when that becomes habitual, <laughs> now I can go to the nice habit, to, to, a, to a different habit. And and I like that, you know, he says habits create freedom. And, and that allows me to do so much more of what I want in the future. I just really love that concept of, you know, being able to form habits <laughs> that you want to reinforce, you know, the behavior that you want to have and then ultimately get so good at that habit that you're not even thinking about it anymore. And, and there's a quote that I'll butcher. It's Alfred North Whitehead. And he says something to the effect of, this is how societies advance. When, when we develop, I mean, think of the habits that we have now that we don't even think about, mm -hmm. you know, re reaching for the phone and making a phone call and right. doing these things that, that you know, a hundred years ago was like, wow, how do we do this? And how <laughs> right. does that work? This is how society advances by developing habits. Mm. And then we can move on to the mm. next and thing. And then just not thinking about it. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So let's get let's get a little more technical talking about the cycle where habits are actually created. Yeah. So uh, a cue triggers your brain to initiate a behavior. Yeah. So think of that, a cue, like, oh, what? 
What? Something just drew my attention. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of information that predicts a reward. Okay. Uh, so cravings are the motivational force behind every habit. Yeah. So Clay, you don't crave to smoke. Yeah. You crave the feeling exactly. of relief that it provides. And, and that's true, right? I mean, we don't... Yeah. Uh, there's, I have no craving to to put a stick in my mouth and light it on fire, and but but it does something for me, right. and that's what I'm truly craving. Right, and so a response is the actual habit that you perform. What I do, you know, lighting the cigarette, uh huh, and, and and then rewards are the end goal of every habit. So yeah. really, your cue to your craving, to your response, and then the reward. Yeah, that, so, and, and this this is a little bit hard to follow in a podcast, but hopefully you're able to mentally visualize this, and I certainly recommend that you read the book, but the cue notices the reward. You okay. see it, and you're like, oh, okay, I see that could <laughs> get me the, the or, or maybe I see, you know, six-pack abs. I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd like some of those, you know? The craving wants the reward, the response is what you do to get the reward, what I actually do, and then the reward satisfies us and or teaches us, right? Right. So, so if you think of all those four parts of the cycle, that's where we can either create or stop a habit. Okay. Right? Either the cue, the craving, the response, or, or the reward. Eliminate the cue and your habit will never start. Reduce the craving and you're not going to have enough motivation, right? Mm-hmm. Make the behavior difficult, but pro- right? Then, <laughs> right? Then then you won't be able to do it. And if the reward fails to satisfy your desire, then you'll have no reason to do it again. So, is that you kind of follow yeah, that no, mentally, that's, that's, right? No, it's really With, interesting. Without the first 3 steps, a behavior will not occur. Right. Without all 4, a behavior won't be repeated and it won't become a habit. Right. Right. Okay. So I, I know, let me just one more time, okay, right? Let's go through it again. A cue triggers a craving. <laughs> a cue triggers a craving. Okay. Which motivates a response. Okay. Which provides a reward. Okay. And that reward satisfies the craving and ultimately becomes associated with the cue. And you see that cycle. This is how habits are developed. Okay. Got it. Either good habits or bad habits. No, that's, that's, that's great. So let's, let's break that down then. And, yeah. and let's start with the cue. So if it's a habit that you want, you want to make the cue obvious. Uh, if you don't want the habit, then you really want to make the cue invisible. Yeah, remove the cue. Right? So let's talk about making cues obvious. We, we need to learn how to become aware of cues, really. Yeah. So I'm so exhausted just explaining the thing. You He's know, gesticulating now, now a lot here. You can't okay. see. Yeah. <laughs> I know. All right. So so a quote by Carl Jung. He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Okay. That sounded almost like Confucius, right? I like, I like that. So, but, but until you, there are so many things that we're doing that lead to results. And we think those results are fate because right. we're not, we're not drawing the things to our attention. Uh, and we don't realize why we're failing. Right. Right. Leaders do this all the time. I don't know why my turnover is so high and I don't because they're doing so many things habitually they that they don't doing, realize yeah. it's rubbing people wrong or the, the book mm. talks about a really interesting uh, a story of, of the Japanese train system, which, again, I've never been to Japan, but I've heard it's amazing. And they, they use the system that they called pointing and calling for all of their duties. And I, mm. I can't remember all the specifics, but I know they I know it's like I am now pulling this lever. You know, they they would, uh, you know, uh, people on um, landing one are now exiting and they were 
the things that just normally happened, they would point at them <laughs> and they would call it out and they would bring the unconscious to the conscious. Got it. Very does, interesting. No, that's that very interesting. Sense? Yeah, it does. And so what happened, and they did this for all of their duties, they said it reduced errors by 85% and cut accidents by 30%. <laughs> that's, it that's, brought that's the rough. unconscious. So, so he says, hmm. try pointing and calling in your own life. By, by stating it, it makes us aware of the habit. And once we're aware, we can decide... We can decide if it's a good habit or I'm I'm okay, I'm gonna put on my running shoes. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> that sounds that sounds weird, but but uh, you know I I'm pointing out, and and then ask yourself the question: Does this habit reinforce an identity that I want or one that I don't want? Okay, right. Yeah. So that's the and one of the ways we do this is through implementation intention. Okay. So, uh, implementation intention is sort of a plan you make beforehand about when and where to act. So you're saying when situation X arises, mm -hmm. I will perform response Y. Um, when 6 a.m. comes about, I will exercise for 30 minutes. Okay. I make it, I will, you know, do this behavior right. at this time and location. See, sometimes it's not that we lack motivation, it's that we lack clarity. When are we going to do these things? We all say, no, I've got to exercise more. Mm -hmm. When are you going to do it? <laughs> right. Point and state. So this example you're using is just speaking to my soul right now. I yeah. <laughs> you just you just have to say, this is when I'm going to do this. And and one of the ways that you can really help this clarity is is something they call habit stacking. Okay. So oh, so take take a current habit that you have okay. and and then say, when I do this. I will then do this. Okay. After I my, do my current habit, I will do this new <laughs> habit. It. Good idea. And, it, and it increases the likelihood of starting that new habit by right. attaching it. So um, after I roll out of bed, mm -hmm. I'm going to say my prayers. And after I say my prayers, I'm going to exercise for 30 minutes or I'm going to read for 30 minutes. Right. or And I'm going to be very specific because that specificity is important because the first law of behavior change is make it obvious. Make the cue obvious. I've rolled out of bed. Right. I, I've, I've, I'll tell you, I've done this since I was in high school. When I wake up, I roll out of bed and I do 100 push-ups. Yep. And I've done this since high school. And I'm now 97 years old. So <laughs> do, I mean, do the math habit. on those number of push-ups. It's, it's quite a few. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, that's 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 why awesome. I look so strong, right? Yeah. Go ahead and tell them they can't he, see me. He does. Oh, he does. It's just <laughs> that was uh, a joke. Um, so, okay, I'll bring us, let me get us back on track here. Um, so first he's saying that goals aren't as important as systems. And now it sounds like he's saying it's not as much motivation as it is clarity. Like uh, motivation is overrated. Yeah, yeah. First he says goals are overrated. Now <laughs> he says motivation. And, and think, I mean, uh, this makes sense to me too, because I think sometimes as leaders, mm -hmm. we focus so much on motivation when really what we need to be providing mm -hmm. is clarity. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's, you know, he, he talks though. Um, so let's, let's talk about, you know, these, these systems and how, to, he, how much environment matters, okay. right? He, they, it's called choice architecture. When you walk into a store, they, there are things placed very specifically, <laughs> right? That is called choice architecture, okay. right? And, and we can use choice architecture 
by making the habits we want easier to access. Mm. Right. He says people are often choose products not because of what they are, but because of where they are. <laughs> right. We think they don't. I mean, we think that uh, uh, Super Bowl commercials don't don't change it. But there's millions of dollars in advertising money that tells that. me yeah, that that's exactly. not true. And oh, maybe I could use, a, you know, something to massage my feet or something like that. So so Kurt Lewin. Uh, I have no idea who he is, but he once said, behavior is a function of the person in their environment. In other words, we tend to be shaped by our most obvious option. Okay. Okay. So, so, and again, going back to leaders, this is why I think scoreboards are so powerful. Every habit is initiated by a cue, and we're more likely to notice cues that stand out. And so if we can put those scoreboards there, that's a cue in my mind, and that gets me to develop certain habits. They told a really funny story. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen in these urinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes on the – sorry, those of you that don't use urinals. <laughs> uh, sometimes they put these little, uh, like, fake bugs okay. on a on the uh, – I don't know what it's called – in the – you know where the urine goes. Yes, the urinal area. <laughs> and 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 that was intentional because when you, I'm really sorry for this example. When you aim your urine for that bug, it reduces the splashing, and they decrease their cleaning cost by eight percent. That's just a genius, genius <laughs> that, use. A great and just example. Just by putting a bug, because apparently yeah. men want to hit yeah. the bug with their, something against with bugs. Their apparently. All right. Uh, this podcast is going to get canceled. <laughs> it's, um, never, it's never going to pass so, legal. <laughs> so, so his point is, become the architect of your life. Put your exercise shoes out the night before. I do this. I set my exercise shoes and my socks right yep. in a particular place. I, I get my bike kit ready when I know I... And you're, yep. you're, you're becoming the architect of your life. And by the way, the opposite is true. If you're trying to stop a bad habit, make it invisible. Mm. Change the context. And if you change the context, you can change the habit. He uses the example of how nine out of 10 Vietnam vets were addicted to heroin. When mm-hmm. they were there in Vietnam, I mean, just the things they had, to, but it was all around them. Mm-hmm. And when they, um, and excuse me, nine out of 10 weren't addicted. Those that were addicted in mm-hmm. Vietnam, when they came back, nine out of 10 were able to overcome that addiction by changing their environment. Wow. Does that make sense? No, for sure. So, so, you know, he says, and this is a quote from him. He says, you can break a habit, but you're unlikely to forget it. It once once the the mental grooves of habit have been carved into your brain, they're nearly impossible to remove entirely, even if they go unused for quite a while. Mm. So instead of trying to summon willpower, mm-hmm. your energy would be better spent optimizing your environment, making the cues of your good habits obvious and the cues of your bad habits invisible. Okay, so we can kind of go back to making good habits more attractive than really. I I know he yeah. gets. I know he he really gets into the science of uh, this, discussing how dopamine the plays dopamine. into this. And um, yeah. he said, without dopamine, our desires die. Without desire, action stops. Yeah, it is interesting. I, and you read the book. There's a really interesting study he does with rats, okay. and where they. Uh, they countered the dopamine. They removed the dopamine. The rats even stopped eating. Even though their body needed food, right. the desire to eat was taken away. And wow. so they died of starvation despite the fact that food was right in front of wow. them. Wow. Isn't that got, interesting? That's so that, crazy. That's the power of dopamine. So 
so this this is interesting, and I'll quote it since I'm not a scientist. I'm an accountant. Uh, <laughs> dopamine is released not only when you experience pleasure, but also when you anticipate it. So they discovered gambling addicts have a dopamine spike right before they place a bet and not after they win. Wow. It's the anticipation of a reward, not the fulfillment of it, that gets us to take action. <laughs> that's that's so crazy. Okay, so so that's there's there's something we're going to learn from this science, right? right? Like the anticipation of something is what drives us to do. The wanting centers of the brain. There, there are wanting centers and there are liking centers. Okay. The wanting centers of the brain are much larger than the liking centers. Okay? <laughs> so, so desire really is the engine that drives behavior. We need to make our habits attractive because it's the expectation of a rewarding experience that motivates us to act in the first mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. So he calls this temptation bundling, right? We talked about habit stacking. Now let's talk about temptation bundling. Link an action that you want to do with an action that you need to do. Okay. This okay. is kind of like fun theory. If you remember that, we yep. had a fun theory contest yep. a long yep. time ago. Uh, Volkswagen has this theory that we do, we'll, we'll do more desired behaviors if we make it fun. So one of the things they did, you can't turn on the radio to your car unless you, you know, click in your seatbelt. <laughs> or you could set up something on your cycle that says Netflix right. is not going to work unless I'm cycling at a certain number of RPMs. <laughs> right. That's great. Right? This is temptation bundling. After I come home from work, something that I already do, uh -huh. I'm going to vacuum the living room, something right. that I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's I'm stacking it on top. And after I vacuum the living room, I'm going to watch Netflix. Okay. So something I already do. I'm attaching something I need to do, and after I do something I need to do, I'm going to do something that I want to do. That, that's that's an awesome concept. I'm just sitting here as you were breaking it down. I'm plotting and Start planning some your, exactly, your life. Yeah. exactly how you can temptation bundle. No, that's awesome. So so yeah. uh, okay. So we've talked about our environment. Um, yeah. What does he say about who you surround yourself with? I'm curious to hear what you think about that. Yeah, I I love this piece because. This has everything to do with our our clusters. And by the way, this, you know, I, spoiler alert, a lot of our next annual meeting is going to just be in-depth on the cluster and how the cluster works. And I'm excited about it already. Good, good. <laughs> I am too, actually. And, and we're still about a year away. <laughs> There's a saying, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Okay. And I remember reading this in the book, mm -hmm. you know, and I just, I don't, I don't know what... Yes, the lone wolf will often die, but staying in a pack, it often survives. If you ever seen the the uh, Google on on Google on YouTube, that's that just made me sound very old. Uh, just just Google uh, uh, battle at Kruger, and and see this this home video of a baby water buffalo that survives an alligator and some lions because the pack came and saved That's it awesome. and and see one of the deepest human desires that we have is to belong often we we don't choose our earliest habits we imitate them we follow the script that's been handed down by our friends and our family and mm -hmm. our church or school or or local community and in our case our clusters mm -hmm. we develop we develop tolerances right we behaviors are attractive when they help us fit in 
I always think you guys know I love my my office lines, <laughs> right? We want to fit in. Right. I, one of Michael Scott's favorite lines for me is he starts laughing at a joke and they said, "Oh no, no, it's an inside joke." And he goes, oh, "I love inside jokes. Love to be a part of one someday." <laughs> <laughs> like that desire to just be on the in the in crowd right. and fit in. We have some clusters that have a tolerance for certain behaviors and performances that others don't. The pack won't allow it or the pack will allow it. Right. Which does your pack allow? We soak up qualities and practices of those around us. In fact, one of the most effective things that you can do to build better habits is join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Hmm. Okay. Right. But become a part. Say we need to become this cluster because I need you to hold me accountable. The most solid clusters make the norms good. Positive mm. peer pressure. Right. We right. we want to be acknowledged and recognized and praised for the things that we should be doing. And we're drawn to behaviors that earn us respect and approval and admiration and status. Interesting thing that he says, too, and I've seen this in, in you know, more advanced clusters. He says, once we fit in, then we start looking for ways to stand out. You hmm. see clusters that hmm. have those no tolerance for losses and mm -hmm. they do a good job and, right. and there aren't any losses. And then you see others, okay, now I want to stand out for my cluster <laughs> because that hyper competitiveness. That's that's very cool. And, and that, that really does scientifically back the cluster model. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more that I want to get into, um, so much so that I-, I Yeah, I, but I need I, a break. I, I think we need to take a little break yeah. and, and finish uh, today's podcast and pick things up uh, next, next week. week. Yeah, next week. So we'll <laughs> talk to you guys next week. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks.